Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Talks Podcast. I'm Andy Daniel, social media coordinator with Montana's Peer Network, and I am here with Dennis Nyland. He is the Montana Mental Health Ombudsman. Welcome, Dennis. Well, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm all right. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Montana in Helena. From there, I went to the military, um, was in the military for about approximately nine years. From there, I actually moved back to Montana and started my career. Well, I've already was started as an EMT. I've been an EMT now for almost 30 years, um, but started doing some EMT work in the Helena area. And then I actually got into law enforcement with the Sheriff's Office, Lewis Clark County Sheriff's Office. From that, I went through the ranks street patrol and then went through and all the way up to an investigator. Um, I did different cases for that. Um, and then there's a program, it's out of Memphis, it's called CIT, Crisis Intervention Team. Um, it's a uh, training for law enforcement for de-escalation crisis training. There was a group of us from Helena that went down to Memphis to actually get an overview of what the program was about, CIT. And we went down there that was in 2004, 2005, we went down there. We thought this would work for Montana and we actually went back to do a 40 hour train the trainer for CIT. And September of 2005, we actually had the first CIT class in Montana. So now to move forward, when I finished law enforcement, I was still very heavily involved and still am with CIT. I was looking and I saw this mental health ombudsman um, position and I looked into it and I put in for it. Um, and as of 2014, November, 2014, I became the mental health ombudsman for the state of Montana. So I'm not sure that our listeners know what that term means. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about what ombudsman means or, or what your role is? Yeah, I could do a combination of those. So Word ombudsman is actually a Swedish word. Back in the 1800s, the Swedish parliament um, actually appointed an ombudsman. In a nutshell, really what an ombudsman is, is an individual that is a liaison between the citizens and government. So you have different types of ombudsmans throughout the United States and throughout the world, actually. Like, for example, you have the mental health ombudsman. So my job as the mental health ombudsman is... I'm there to help people find resources for mental health services through in Montana. Um, with that, it could be an organization, it could be a provider, or it could be a facility. And I help them to try to find those resources to help navigate through the mental health system in Montana. A big part of it and where the ombudsman term and where the ombudsman comes in is actually, if someone has an issue, a concern or a complaint, about a mental health facility or a mental health provider or a mental health organization, you know, or just something to do with the mental health in, in the system in Montana, they can call my office and actually um, we can discuss it and try to find a resolution. That's my goal as the ombudsman is to 
help find a resolution, listen to what the individual has to say about what's going on, talk to the facility or the provider or whoever's involved and working all together to come up with a resolution, which is a whole purpose of an ombudsman. I guess what I can also do is just real quickly, it's in statute, I mean, it's statutorily the mental health ombudsman is, and really the big term that they use is the ombudsman shall represent the interests of individuals with regard to the need of public mental health services which includes transitioning from public to um, mental health systems throughout the state. Can you give us a little history of the Ombudsman's Office in Montana? Because it's not something that's just existed forever, right? Right. No, yep. It actually started in 1999. The legislature, 1999 legislature actually came up or had a discussion and was talking about in response to the difficulties at the mental health system was happening and at that time was managed care of course we're away from that managed care aspect of it but they wanted to look at what can we do in response to the difficulties we're having with the mental health system in montana so they created the mental health ombudsman's office and like i said before it, it's there to represent the interests of the individuals in the state you know in reference to the mental health system and try to help them navigate through that and it's a, a appointment by the governor it's a four-year appointment um, I am the fifth mental health ombudsman that the state's had since in its inception in 1999, and I've been doing it since 2014, so going on almost seven years now. So what exactly are the duties of your office? Yes, yeah, so some of the, the duties, the things that we do is, like I mentioned to you before, if someone is looking for resources, they can give us our, they can call us. We do have a website, but we're there to help them hopefully find the resources out there. As we know, especially in Montana, we're very limited in our the resources we have. We're being very creative. Actually, it's it's getting more creative as as um, time goes on here. That you know we're we're a rural state. I mean, there's no doubt about it, we're a rural state, but there's a lot of th- systems and a lot of creative ideas that are coming up um, for our state. So. Looking for the resources, that was a big thing. Um, and then, like I said, um, another big part of our job is to help those individuals that are in need or have an issue that they're trying to work with to try to help resolve that issue for them. So, Dennis, what kinds of calls do you normally receive? So, I mean, it's a variety of calls. I mean, I, I can kind of give you an idea, you know, some of the things that we're looking for and some of the stats as when I do my annual report that I look for is like for access to services, you know, us being a rural state, you know, access can be difficult sometimes. And so we try to, you know, that's that they might be asking about that. It could be, um, you know, the availability of services, depending on where you're at or, you know, that, that, that could be an issue. Treatment, you know, how they're being treated or the, even, even the medical care alongside mental health care, you know, they might have some issues with that. Legal and justice system, criminal justice system. We've had people, individuals I've called that have been in, you know, either in a jail or prison and they would, would like to receive services and they would like to know what they can do. Or we have family members. And that's a big thing. We have family members a lot of times that are calling or their loved ones or their friends and they, they want to be able to help them and that's I'm trying to give them the resources to be able to get them to the right place to the right person to be able to help them resolve that issue 
And then we have, you know, the social security or, you know, the different services that an individual can have when they're dealing with a mental illness. Um, and the big part of it is just, just a general complaints. I mean, they could have a complaint about a facility or, the, or a provider, or they could just have a complaint about what can we do better in the state of Montana or in my town or in my city so that we can have better mental health services. So if somebody calls you, what should they expect? If they call, when they call my office, of course, I'm going to ask them, you know, you know, you call the mental health ombudsman's office and what, what is going on today that you call my office. And with that, they would let me know what it is. So whatever it is, generalize, I'll find out what exactly is going on. So my first thing is to try to gather the information from them, find out what the issue or the complaint is, or what, what are they looking for? or are they looking for resources? As we're doing that, once I've clarified what exactly what the call is about, I'm going to ask them the different questions that are necessary for me to say, to find out where we need to go with this next. So is it, do we need to find a, a referral to another agency? Do we need to talk to someone, maybe one of their care providers or to the facility maybe that they're in to see if that would help with the situation? Um, a lot of times, you know, if it's not a referral, sometimes we'll have um, informal assistance. So, for example, um, I have someone that's saying that they have, they know someone that is having these issues. And what can they do as a general citizen to be able to help them um, with that? And then there is very few times that um, I have to, I won't really necessarily say investigate, but really dive deep into what's going on. And I guess I'd like to let the individuals listen to this podcast um, that typically if you have a complaint, and especially if you're, if you're with the provider or a facility, there is a, a grievance process. And, you know, I definitely, if they have an issue, definitely try the grievance process first. I'm always going to say, go and try that first. That way we can let the individuals know or the place know what is going on. And so they're not in the you know, dark of what's going on. And so they're aware of it. And then if things aren't working out, definitely call my office. And by all means, they can call my office and I will help them through that process of what to do with the grievance process and how to, how to go through that. But we, you know, we cannot, we can't be in the, in the sense of advocate of being in like a courts talking in, in behalf of them but we can actually definitely give them all the different resources they need to be able to get to that point where they can get the, hopefully get the issue resolved. So when you talk about the grievance process, is that like a, a provider or facility level grievance or is that like a state level grievance? I would say the grievance process is usually the provider or the facility level. If someone is having an issue with one of those, then there's definitely should be a grievance process in place at those places, either the, at the provider's level or at the facility. If they, if it's something other than that, if it's just there's something going on, you know, in their community and they're having some issues with with how things are going, then that's where they could call my office and definitely we can work on some solutions and some resolutions, hopefully for them. How many calls do you get and, and, you know, do you have like a breakdown of how many calls for specific issues, that kind of thing? Yeah. So I will, I can tell you last year's 
stats. Um, I'm going to be working on this year's stats here in the next month or so, and so I'll be having those out here probably in September. But last year, we actually were at 592 calls, approximately 592 calls that we received in the Mental Health Ombudsman's office. And you got to remember, you know, that's 592 calls. That could be take two to five minutes to answer the question or get the, the issue resolved or it could be days, weeks, months of resolving an issue. Another thing is this office, it's, I have myself as the ombudsman and I also have a part-time person for the whole state of Montana to, to deal with these issues. So um, it, that's quite a few. And looking at the, over the history of the, I've been here for almost seven years, we've been averaging about 15 to 17% increase yearly. So it's, I think it's a combination of People just need the resources or need the help. I also think it has to do with that people know that there is a mental health ombudsman and we're there to help help individuals with their, their issues with the mental health system or not even necessarily issues to be able to help them with the mental health system um, with their resources. So um, I, like I said, I kind of gave you some of, the, some of the inquiries that we do. And I think the, I would say the top three is probably just general complaints or general calls, either how do we handle this, the mental health system, because this is going on, or in my community, this is going on, how, do, how can we make it better? And then I would say access to services, availability of services, and then the legal and criminal justice system is probably the top three to four that we deal with on a regular basis. I just want to, I guess, bring up, you know, the, the services, you know, you talk about the services that we provide. It's basically, like I said, we have the coaching or give them just information, you know, give them the resources, referrals. We help refer out um, as far as giving them information to be able to refer to someone else. One thing to remember that if I, if it's in a, in a city or a town that has multiple providers or multiple facilities, I'm going to give them a list of those. I'm not going to give them one specific because that's not my job to, to give that. It's let them make that decision. And like I said, the informal assistance, just it could be a generalized question and that had nothing to do with mental health, but they just need some information or need some help. And then the last thing would be just the, you know, the other category, which would be anything that falls other than those three that I just mentioned to you. So can you give us some examples of some outcomes that you've had with some calls that you've gotten? Yeah. So I, I mean, I can give you just a couple examples just to kind of give you, and this is just a, I mean, a snapshot of what we do but i like for example we actually we had a case one time where we had a, a mother of a of a teenager and they contacted our office and it had to do with the the teenager receiving day treatment services for for this individual and they were the child was accepted into the program and days before the program was to start um they were told that he no longer qualified for the program so they called our office. So we talked to the, and found out exactly what happened. Like I said, got all the information. And then I asked, always ask permission. And we do have release of information forms that we do give individuals so that there's no issues with HIPAA or anything to be able to, to look into the, the, in the case. So we looked into it. We contacted the facility, explained to them, hey, we got a call into our office. You know, and the circumstances leading up to that, after several calls and talking to multiple people in the organization, we 
we were able to find out that uh, there was actually just a breakdown in the process of this in this child into the program. Yes, he was accepted and there was just a miscommunication and it was resolved and the boy was able to receive those services. So like I said, as we all know, you know, um, there's miscommunications all the time and those miscommunications then lead to people not getting the help that they need. And so that was, a, that was a great outcome. I could, I could tell you another one. And when I'm talking about this too, I, I can tell you a lot of the calls I received, like I said before, is parents of adult individuals, you know, their, their son, daughter, and they know their, their history, their mental health history, and that they've, um, they're doing well, you know, and then, you know, something happens, either a life, you know, life happens, right? It's not maybe going off medications or whatever, whatever the issue is, it doesn't really matter. And they know that they know their family member and they call their office and say, what can we do to help them? And I would say those are probably some of the hardest calls that we take sometimes because you want to be able to give them anything and everything they can do. And we do, we give them suggestions, you know, you know, talk to your, your loved one, you know, and explain to them. It depends on where they're at in their, in the crisis, I guess I would say, could say, but, you know, try to talk to them first. And then I always have said this when I talk to them, you know, when things are stable and things are going good, come up with a plan together so that they know, you know, what to do if this situation happens. And that's helped a lot because it gives them an avenue that if something does is going down that path, that a crisis is beginning to develop, that they can, they can divert that crisis and, and, and have a good outcome. So with that being said, we've had, like I said, we've had a couple of times where we've had like jails where they have individuals that were, for example, they're saying they're getting inadequate mental health services. There's a couple of things with that, with the jail system, as we all know, that there's certain, there's certain medications that they can have inside the jail. That's just uh, across the board throughout the United States. You know, you can only have certain medications and sometimes that has to do with the mental health medications that this individual has taken. And, and a lot of times those things get resolved pretty quickly. We go talk to them, we get hold of the, you know, to the nurse or, or the facility, you know, the, the jail and just say, Hey, this is what's going on. And then they either find, uh, which isn't the, always the best solution, but they try to find something that can substitute until they, the, the incarceration is, is over with. So so that's that's just a couple of examples, but it's I would say overall we are able to help resolve a lot of the issues, and quite honestly, it has to do with the people, the individuals that I'm talking to. They're able to resolve. We work as a team. I give them suggestions and see if they have any questions. And they're the ones that are doing it, and that's what we want. We want them to be be, be taking care of the the issue, not someone else taking it for. And they want to do that. They want to be the solution, not have someone just take care of for them. So you mentioned HIPAA uh, and that people will call about their like adult children or something. Can you tell me a little bit about how that, that situation works? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about if you've got somebody who is in crisis or has stopped taking their medication or, you know, whatever, and is really struggling, you know, what, what kind of help can you give if you can't connect with that person in a way to get permission to have a conversation with whoever called you? Right. That's a great question. I, you know, I, 
as I said before, I, I've been really pushing and talking to people about, you know, we'll get through this crisis now, but when this crisis is resolved and when people stabilize, come up with a plan. I know they have the, what is it? The psychiatric advanced psychiatric directives. Thank you very much. I've been, I've been talking about that. I know it's been around for a while, but people, I, it's like, it's a new thing to a lot of people because I don't think it's just, just people don't understand what it is and it's it's basically like a, a it's an advanced directive and you're it's just, it's for some an individual that's having you know the you know could have a mental health crisis and what to do and and the paperwork is there basically saying that if something happens you have the they're giving you the authority to help them through that crisis and so that's a big thing but while they're, like you said, you know, HIPAA is involved, anybody can give me whatever information they want to give me, and I'll take that information in. You know, where it becomes sticky, I guess, is they want help with that individual. Of course, on my office, I'm not going to be able to get into the middle of crisis in that aspect of it, but I definitely would let them know. It's always a last resort. I mean, is... If that individual, they feel like that individual is harmed, could be harmed to themselves or others, you know, and, or they're just not taking care of themselves because they, they're, you know, they're unstable and not able to take care of themselves, then there's nothing wrong with calling a welfare check and, and hope that, and like I said, throughout the state, there's a lot of people are reading training CIT. There's a, I mean, the, the law enforcement academy they actually have dedicated at least eight hours of just for CIT and some of those de-escalation skills. It's not CIT as far as the training, it's de-escalation skills. And then they also have mental health first aid, I believe, and a couple other things that they go through with the law enforcement academy. So they're, they're aware of those situations as a law enforcement officer, but do a call on a welfare check. If you're really concerned or you feel like that there's a danger to themselves or others. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong Law enforcement will go there and they will verify. And if there is something going on and it's enough where they can, they can actually get them the help. They can, you know, hopefully get them to the hospital and, and then they can deal with that. And then, but it's not always the case that they're as, as this is a term I heard a long time ago and it still sticks in my head. It's not a crime to be mentally ill. And we got to remember that it's not. And individuals, we all deal, we all have our bad days. Right. And, and, Sometimes, you know, individuals when you're dealing with a mental illness and it's a bad day, a bad day is just not a good day. So we want to be able to help them. So. How can people get a hold of you if they have questions or concerns? Yeah, so there's a few different ways. And I can just give you a couple numbers that my office, you know, my office um, is 444 nine six six nine you can also get a hold of my uh, assistant that's also in here the mental health service specialist that's here and her number is four 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 nine six six one we also have a website and that website it's a long one but really all i tell people if you have access to the to the internet just do montana mental health ombudsman and it'll come up on there and just click onto that and then we have a bunch of resources and ways the information i just gave you you do it by email and that's also on there. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Recovery Talks podcast. 
You can listen to past episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And you can always find more information on our website at mtpeernetwork.org. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. (laughs) Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery.